Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. Good morning. Today at our 11 o'clock service, we bring to a close our week-long 41st Annual World Missions Conference. Our theme was The Urgency of Evangelism in World Missions Today. We have had the joy and blessing of having evangelist Ui Chin Aik of Asia's Pacific Ministries as our special guest speaker. We thank God for Brother Chin Aik's challenging messages to us and also for the reports of what God is doing in and through the ministry of our own Bahamian missionaries. My friends, the hour is indeed late, and we have only a short time left to fulfill Christ's command to make disciples from among all the nations of the world. But beginning right here at home, right where we are, even while we simultaneously reach out to the ends of the earth, what a task, but also what a God we have to help us to complete the task. He promised to be with us until we are finished, right up to the time he comes back again. The more disciples we make at home, the more disciple makers we will have to take the message of the gospel everywhere God leads us. What a glorious program this is, and it is all designed to find those who would worship our triune God in spirit and in truth. God is seeking such worshipers. That's the mission of the church, to find those who would worship the triune God in spirit and in truth. That's how Jesus Christ is building his church in the world today. What a privilege to be a part of this divine plan. I trust that if you are a professing believer, you are also seeking to make disciples as a way of life.
I mentioned recently that my wife and I went to Orlando to meet up with some of our family, including our two grandchildren. Whilst there, we went to, to an Irish restaurant for lunch one day. It was a fine meal and included some of the British and European dishes that my wife and I really enjoy. The waiter who served us was a friendly soul, shared with us some of the unique features of the restaurant in which we were eating. Many of the fixtures, he told us, were original and had been imported from Ireland many years before. It did indeed look like an Irish pub, and as I mentioned, many of the items on the menu had a British or Irish ring to them. He pointed out that over on the side of the restaurant where we could look, there was a part of an Irish pub bar that was said to be over 150 years old. It looked authentic, to me anyway. Then next to where we were sitting, there was a polished wooden staircase with about a dozen steps and a polished handrail that terminated at the top with a small platform or stage. Our waiter said that this was once in a church in Ireland and had served as a part of the pulpit of that church. The church is no more, of course. As I looked at the lovely old wooden steps and handrail, I could easily imagine that it had once been a part of a beautiful wooden pulpit in an exquisite church somewhere in the Irish countryside, but it is no longer. Some wealthy American restaurateur had bought it and shipped it to America as decoration for his Irish restaurant in Orlando, Florida. I thought to myself, if only those stairs could talk, I'm sure that we would hear countless stories of men and women, boys and girls, who came forward to that altar, convicted of sin and claiming Jesus Christ to be their Savior. Stories, too, of people who needed a touch from the Master's hand, of healing or commitment to being a better person. Even stories, I, I venture, of wars and of peace. Different men over hundreds of years of Irish history standing in that pulpit telling the old, old story of Jesus and his love. But then something happened. The witness was stifled. People stopped coming to this church. Perhaps they lost interest. Their passions attracted to other venues and new interests. Perhaps they were moved to the nearest city and away from the countryside church. Soon there were insufficient people to pay the expenses. The vicar was probably transferred to a bigger parish where enough people still came to church. The witness of that church diminished and must have eventually been extinguished. To raise money for other ventures, the church was dismantled and sold off, with that pulpit stairs being sold and sent to America. Well, this is a bit of conjecture and imagination on my part. It may well have happened as I described. Whatever did happen, though, it is a sad, sad story. In that mock Irish restaurant, I enjoyed the gammon and egg open-faced sandwich that I had ordered, and I even enjoyed the pâté which preceded lunch. It was a fine meal and all. Thinking back on the occasion, I cannot fault the owners for their choice of decor, even if it did let my imagination run there for a few minutes. I resembled the idea of the decor that had been intended, and they created the ambiance that we enjoyed along with the traditional fare that all made up for that occasion. Through it all, though, I couldn't help but nurture my sadness as I reflected on the possibilities as to how those stairs and platform had ended up in America. The portion from the Irish pub did not create the same anguish of soul that came to me over the destruction of the church, though. 
Maybe at the end of the demolition, a brand new church had been built to accommodate the parishioners who were being displaced. But somehow I doubt that is what really happened. I've seen a number of abandoned churches in that part of the world. Many reports have been read that suggest clearly that church attendance in Europe, including the UK and Ireland, has been falling off for years and is at an all-time low. I've seen the churches, magnificent edifices, grand structures from skilled master craftsmen, closed and silent, some being used for restaurants and shops, some being closed and becoming decrepit with a disuse and, and vandalism. But the saddest thing of all is that this is because people have stopped and have been losing their way. They do not feel a need for God as their parents and grandparents did in the past before them. They sometimes feel impervious to the assaults coming from worldliness, the flesh, and even from the devil. Self-sufficient, they feel, with the pride of life permeating their souls. God has been regulated and relegated to the background or even to the world of fantasy. As worshippers diminish, as fewer men and women feel the need to believe in God, they fall away from the church, naturally, and what it represents. Less people, fewer churches. What an indictment. What has happened? And now, with this message for today, here's our pastor, Alan Lee. Good morning again, and greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Please pause with me today as we open in prayer. Father, thank you for providing a complete salvation for all who would place faith alone in Christ alone as the basis for their salvation. Thank you, too, for those who have dedicated their life to the ministry of making disciples at home as well as in foreign lands. Protect them and provide for their every need, we pray, so that, like our Master himself, they will passionately seek for those who would become true worshippers of the triune God. We ask now that you would please bless your word as we seek to proclaim the truth that we as human beings have been made in the image of God and the awesome implications of that fact for us as we live in a godless, Christless society where we must shine as lights of the world and preserve as the salt of the earth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as mentioned in our previous messages, the theme for our series of messages, of which this is the fourth, is the human difference, its impact upon the Christian's dealing with the moral dilemmas of our day. My proposition for the series, or my thesis for the series, is that most, if not all, of the social and moral issues that challenge us today are actually asking one underlying question. What is man? Or to make it personal, who am I as a human being? Is there a human difference? We are seeking to show the glorious truth that the Christian or theistic worldview provides a better basis and philosophy for living because of the awesome and divine fact that we are made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. The understanding and living out of this divine reality impacts our response to such moral dilemmas as abortion, stem cell research, euthanasia, ecology, animal rights, capital punishment, and same-sex marriage as well. Now, because of the current interest in this latter topic, we will begin to deal with this issue today. Theologically or biblically speaking, 
the Bible very clearly and explicitly condemns and censures homosexuality, which the Bible defines as sodomy whenever and wherever it is mentioned in either the Old or New Testament. It is condemned by God. To state it clearly and concisely then, the Bible, which we believe to be the Word of God, condemns the practice of sodomy wherever it is mentioned in the Holy Word. The Bible, my friend, nowhere cites one good or positive thing about sodomy that we now call homosexuality. Now the question is this, why is this so? Why is sodomy, or what is now called homosexuality, so consistently and pervasively condemned in the Word of God? I propose to you that it is because it destroys and defaces the image of God in mankind. It destroys the underlying purpose for God creating mankind as male and female and then uniting them as one through marriage, which, by the way, is not a human institution. It is a divine one created by God himself in the Garden of Eden. Now, in light of this theological truth, I want to propose another biblical or theological thesis or proposition. It is this. And now please listen carefully, because this is what this message and next week's message will seek to validate. The pervasive condemnation of homosexuality, which really describes a sexual act rather than a sexual orientation. However, the biblical pervasive condemnation of sodomy can only be properly understood if and when seen in the context of the divine stamp of approval upon the completion of the creation of male and female, when God says, after making male and female in his image, he exclaims, very good. That's Genesis 1.31. Now this is very significant, because God's declaration over the rest of his creation when completed, he simply said it was good. But when he finalized his creation of male and female as combined bearers of his imago Dei, he exclaimed, it is very good. Homosexuality and same-sex marriage rejects this divine sanction, and it wants to say, it was not good at all. Our way is better. Gay and lesbian claims in relation to the biblical message isolates this creative design for human sexuality, male and female, in their attempt to find biblical validation for their lifestyle. And they are even devising their own gay theology, twisting and turning scriptures to make it say what they wanted to say. Christians, therefore, must in our society today clearly understand the doctrine of human sexuality as presented in the Word of God. And it begins with recognizing the polarity God puts between the sexes, male and female. There is, my friends, a divinely imposed difference between femininity and masculinity. The very ability to continue the human race is based upon this polarity. God himself designed it that way. Male and female are divinely designated to produce after their kind. That's why the scriptures tell us that Adam's offspring was in his image. It's only the union of male and female that can accomplish this divinely awesome event. That's why they are called the ears of life. 
I want you to notice very carefully now that it's not male and male or female and female that can bring this divine act of what I call procreation about. This was and is God's divine original intent, and it is the same today. Nothing has changed or able to change this divine fiat, not even science, no matter how we may benefit from its contributions to our way of life. Now, there are four passages in the New Testament that deal with the essential aspects of the relation between men and women and which sheds light on human sexuality as designed by its creator. Amazingly, each one of these scriptural passages appeals to the creation stories in Genesis 1 and 2 to establish their teaching. These passages are Mark chapter 10 verses 3 to 9, which is repeated in Matthew 19 verses 3 to 9. Then we have 1 Corinthians 6 verses 12 through 20, 1 Corinthians 11 verses 2 through 16, and Ephesians 5 verses 21 through 33. Now, due to time limitations today, we will only be able to deal with the first one this morning. So let's begin by looking at Matthew 19, verses 3 and 9, which, as I said, is duplicated again in Mark 10. Hear the word of God. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause at all? And Jesus answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Consequently, they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and send it away? Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, from the creation, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. End of quote. Now, in this passage, the Pharisees were challenging Jesus with the question whether it is lawful, that is, lawful under the Mosaic law, for a man to divorce his wife. Jesus' reply or his answer goes over the head of the Mosaic legislation and back to the creation stories themselves. And so he says, From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. That's a quote from Genesis 1.27. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's a quote from Genesis 2.24. So Jesus himself combines both of the stories in Genesis and 1 and Genesis 2 to say that they are saying one and the same thing. This is Jesus' response to the modern-day question concerning same-sex marriage. So, to say, as some do, that Jesus has nothing to say about homosexuality in the New Testament is absolutely erroneous. He condemns it outright by declaring that God has not changed his mind about the core and essence of marriage, one man and one woman, period. And that's fixed forever. And this is not a church or denominational conclusion. 
It is a creation, divine, unchangeable fiat made by God himself. Now, Jesus' answer draws upon an order of sexuality older and more authoritative than later law, including the Mosaic law. He says, from the beginning. And this phrase alludes not only to a distant past, but to the bedrock of human sexuality as God's creation. And that is the key. From the beginning alludes not only to a distant past, but to the bedrock of human sexuality as God's creation. And it is defined as between male and female. Now, the drive which causes a man to leave behind his old family unit to form with his wife a new union of life is grounded in an antecedent act of divine creation, the calling into being of a single human being in two different forms of male and female. As God's creation, there is only one human being who exists in two separate, distinct, and different forms of male and female. That's how the image of God is shown in humankind. And they are, that's male and female, they are in this separateness, distinction, and difference, one single human being, mankind. In this simultaneous oneness and duality, male and female together are the image of God. They reflect what God is like. And they receive the blessing of God and the unrestricted approval of their creator to be very good. That is why, by the way, that the issue of same-sex marriage is really more about the nature of marriage itself than it is about sexual preference. Listen carefully. If one understands what marriage is according to the word of God, the issue as to who is legitimately eligible to participate in it is not a factor any longer. The answer comes by default in understanding the true nature of marriage itself. There is a divinely created unity from the polarity of the sexes when joined in marriage that cannot be realized in the union of two individuals of the same sex. One reflects the image of God, the other distorts it, if not destroys it altogether. And so I repeat, same-sex marriage distorts or destroys the imago Deo, the image of God in man. Now, Lord willing, we return to this vital issue next time as we really look into the true essence of what marriage is. So until then, this is Pastor Lee saying, as always, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. 
we extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. There forevermore to stay. The great commander's promise, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground. And our toiling will be in a moment.